we are going to look at one of the great psalms together, different psalms through the summer, and we're starting with Psalm 8 today. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you've ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him rule over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Thanks, Ari. That is a great psalm, one I've often come back to when I love and it starts off in this really wonderful, simple and compelling way. And the psalmist uses a phrase that we've sung twice this morning, majestic. And right now, when you think about majestic, and no, we're not talking about the wine company, um, but what does the word majestic conjure up in your mind? What do you think when you read, when you sing, when you hear the word Majestic. And if your brains are working, you've got some answers, Eileen's going to grab them for you now, and if George can type fast enough, they might even appear on the screen as well. Majestic, come on, what does it, what does it convey to you? You're seeing it, it must mean something. Royalty? King, says Lulu. Grandeur? Awesome. <coughs> Powerful, reigning, dignified. Oh, that's a good word. Opulence. Any more? Wow? <laughs> yeah, I quite like wow. The um, thesaurus I looked into had phrases like grand, authority, kingly, imperial, dignified. I think it was on a slide, I think, George. Glorious, awesome, exalted, imposing, impressive, marvelous. That's our God. Just allow yourself 30 seconds of wow time. Take, take, take all that in. What words you've just come up with, what I've just shared and added to, that's our God. Now, you're being a little bit passive with this, I have to say, this morning. I know it's a sermon, you're supposed to sit there and listen nicely and be all very attentive, but you've been just a little bit kind of... There should be, I think, a little bit more wow going on here right now. Because that's our God. 
And the psalmist has clearly caught it. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And we know, don't we, the name is everything about him. Not just the words to say, your God as opposed to Keith Elmit or Steve Thomas. <laughs> this is everything that is our God, and he's majestic. He's the one who rules with authority. And because of all of that that we've recognised this morning, there's a response that should be drawn from us, I believe, in worship. A fresh sense of, wow, Lord, we just want to fall prostrate before you and acknowledge that in song and rejoicing because of who you are. And the psalmist continues, your majestic Lord in all the earth. Not just part of it, but all of it. Nowhere that God is not. Nowhere he cannot go. Nowhere he can't be reached. Nowhere he can't act. And nowhere he's not going to be worshipped. Our God is a universal God. Not confined to one particular culture or region of the globe. He is the God of all the earth, for all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And how do we know that? Because you set your glory above the heavens. That's a recurrent theme in the Psalms. That God's glory is there to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be recognised. The psalmist in Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the psalmist in Psalm 97 recognises that all people see his glory. God's acts, God's character, God's nature, God's power are to be seen across his creation. And the Apostle Paul picks that up in Romans 1 when he says, let me just turn to that for you. Romans 1 and 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So men are without excuse. We take the time to look and to around us. We see God at work. We see God's hand in creation. We see God's hand in his care of people. We see God's hand in his provision for people. We see the great compassionate God at work. And we have no excuse if we don't worship him. We're not worshipping creation. Let's not make that mistake. We're worshipping the creator. The one who has set himself over his creation and through which he's chosen in part to display his glory. That's our God. And that's where the psalmist starts. Making clear that we understand that he is the all-knowing, supreme person that is our God. And he's the God we can know personally and recognise in his creation. And that has implications for us that Ruth has already picked up on prophetically this morning. Because that means he's the God that reigns. That means that the circumstances, the situations that we face, which sometimes we can't make sense of, 
there is still a God over all of that who is reigning, who is ruling, who is working out his purposes. We allow ourselves to see afresh who God is. Surely that brings a fresh sense of security to us that the things that we may be struggling with have an answer in him. And Ruth's already invited us this morning. I just kind of feel out of her prophetic. I want just to stop right now and just pray again. Lord, whether it's for the global stuff that may be on your hearts this morning because it's touched them and you're struggling to see God's care and rule in that. Or whether it's situations in your own lives, God is still reigning. This majestic God is our God. I just want to give you chances to pause afresh right now and whether situations that you know that you need to see that release come. I want to pray that faith would arise again for us to see and out of that revelation to know that we can trust the God who rules. Let's just do that quietly for a second. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, not just for your written word that communicates with us that you're the God who reigns, but thank you, Lord, that prophetically you've reminded us that this morning. And Father, we do want to, again, bring before you situations which are out of our control, but are still in your control. And say, Lord, may we see your grace and your love and your mercy and your power at work. Where folk here are struggling with things individually, I pray, Lord, that they would see something afresh of who you are that would release faith in hearts to trust and to see your provision come. Lord, we do thank you again that you are the God that reigns in our lives. And we bless you in Jesus' name. So having made quite clear who God is, just in that, just that first verse, the psalmist then turns his attention to what we're going to discover is the pinnacle of his creation, and that's us. And in verse 2, he talks about praise coming from the lips of children and infants. Now, verse 2 is actually, uh, I'm reliably informed because I don't have the Hebrew myself to know this, actually quite a difficult verse to kind of translate and get hold of. And in part, you'll see that in the next couple of slides. Keep going, keep going, keep going. There. We've got four different versions of this verse for you just to, to read, in addition to the one we just heard Eileen read earlier, that talk about strength, that talk about praise. If you could flick between the two of them, George, that'd be great. Talk about Enemies being answered, talk about strongholds being established. Different ways of reading the verse, because no one's totally sure how it should be translated. But all conveying that sense that here we have weak, helpless, comparatively speaking, people in children and babies, who have the ability to silence enemies... And I think there are two things I want to sort of just draw from that. Because strength and praise do flow together. 
the, the Hebrew that is used in Psalm 8 is probably seems to be best translated as strength, in fact, although the NIV that we have in front of us uses praise. But when it's quoted by Jesus in Matthew 21, the Greek that is used is the Greek for praise. So clearly the two were kind of intertwined, intercened uh, together. And I think we understand something about the fact that praise is something strong and powerful. It's not just nice songs we sing. There is something powerful and effective that happens when the people of God unite in praise together. And the two kind of things I want to draw from this verse. The first, the reminder of the, the fact that it actually is in weakness that our strength is made perfect. Because here we have the picture of babies and children silencing those who are God's enemies, those who are opposed to him. People who, humanly speaking, might look powerful. That sense, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That's because in God's economy, that which is at its weakest and dependent upon him is then at its most powerful and able to see things amazing happen. And secondly, I particularly want to analyse, I do actually think there is something significant about uh, children in this. That actually there is something, uh, when kids in a kind of uncomplicated an innocent way, praise God, that we daren't call sweet, as too often we're in danger of doing. When we see little kids in some way or other praising God, ah, isn't it sweet? God deliver us from that kind of mistake. There's actually a power in the dependence and the abandonment of kids to praising God. That is powerful. It's interesting that Dave is here again this morning, because he can correct the film story better than I can afterwards, but I, this came home most powerfully to me way back in the early days of the King's School. And that, that's another whole sort of morning retelling that story and all the crazy adventures we got up to. But at one point in this nomadic school that we had in the early months and years of the school, we'd found ourselves at some scout huts in Bampton. And we knew that we couldn't stay there very long. But we didn't know kind of where we we're going to go next. And very sort of Things have been put in place, investigations have been pursued for the kind of next place we might locate this nomadic school. And we kind of hit a brick wall. And David really felt, God underlined this verse to him, and there was a power in the praise of children that we needed to release. And we had, and you, were you there, Catherine? Do you remember this? Yeah. She's nodding enthusiastically as well. I thought you were there. And we had this morning assembly when we drew the kids together and we explained the situation, and we released them to praise God. And they, they went for it. It was a wonderful morning. By lunchtime, we had an answer of where the school could go next. I kind of think that's fairly remarkable. That God takes children and silences his enemies. Let's be ourselves kid-like as we worship God in that dependent way that sees powerful things happen. And then we're moving on through the psalm. The psalmist turns his attention to, to man in more detail. And by verse 4, he asks this question, What is man that you're mindful of him? Given that you're this amazing God, and you've done this incredible stuff, how is it? You're mindful of man. 
And I want you to think about the phrase mindful for a moment. You know, we ourselves, don't we, say we're, we're thinking of people. You know, you're in our hearts, you're in our minds. We're mindful of you. Now, we mean something by that, I think, when we say that, don't we? We're not just being nice. We're carrying somebody in our hearts. They're important to us. There's something about their situation that, that concerns us, or whatever it may be. And we're, we're carrying them in our thoughts, and then turn that into prayer. But they're with us. Think about those of you who are parents, about your children. Um, and we'll just quickly get on to make a comment. I'm not going to ask the rest of you to join in here for sake of time, but something you said about kids and being a mum, quickly, this morning, to me this morning. Yeah, I was thinking about this phrase. Keith was asking me about it, and I remember before we had children, when we were thinking about starting a family, and I knew that if we had children, my heart would never again be free, if that makes sense. I knew that um, by... Bringing children into the world, my heart will be forever, uh, they will be forever in my heart. And however old they got, wherever they went in the world, whatever happened to them, it would affect my heart uh, in a way that it wouldn't be able to be as uh, sort of free and selfish and self-centered. And there are lots of parents nodding and there are lots of non-parents looking mystified. But it, it's true, isn't it? Your, your heart is never your own again. And I guess I thought maybe God's heart is not his own in the sense. It, it's in some way linked to ours. Yeah, that's it. Thanks, love. I'm kicking up that. If we experience that humanly and we're made in his image, how much is that reflection of the God who's mindful of us? That he really does care about us. He is carrying us. He's not just too preoccupied to be bothered. He is mindful of us. Individually as well as corporately, I believe. And he's a caring God as well. And we can look at situations, and whether it's the East Africa famine, whether it's the gas events in Norway, and at one level we're kind of shaken about where's the God that cares in all of this? But yet Scripture is quite clear that our God cares. What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And kind of have this, I think, struggle, if you like, between what at one level if you like, our senses are telling us and what the Word of God is telling us is true in the situation. It's not that we're being asked to be unreal, it's just where we're asked to place our trust and where is truth ultimately. And, of course, God's care is expressed through his people so often. And I guess the the challenge of embracing that verse is also recognising the challenge that we have ourselves to be part of God's care as we've displayed this morning already in our praying and our giving. I don't think we should belittle either of those. We then are the apple of God's eye, the pinnacle of his creation, who he's mindful of, who he cares about. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 5. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. Verse 6. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. God has crowned us and he's caused us to be people who rule. Now this psalm, of course, we need to recognise has a bigger portrayal to us because prophetically 
There's the hint of Jesus here, the one who actually ultimately would be the one who is crowned with glory and honor and who rules. There is a prophetic edge to the psalm. But to the people of Israel who first heard it, this came as a personal challenge and encouragement to them, as I believe it does to us, that we too are those who God has crowned and caused to rule. Now, that probably raises more questions than answers in many of our minds. How? How are we crowned? How do we rule? Is this just a, a nice prophetic statement again that we will be part as the pictures coming through the New Testament into Revelation portray of us being a people who will reign with Christ? Is it just a thing for the, the future to again be encouraged by? Well, yeah, sure, it's there. But isn't it equally for now that God wants us to be people who know how to embrace the fact that God has given us authority and he wants us to rule? <laughs> Risk of, uh, I remember when our kids were young and some of them were trying to sort of just embrace us as a family and we went down sort of this little thing together and the, Sarah would say, Daddy's in charge of mummy, and mummy's in charge of Ruth, and Ruth's in charge of me, and I'm in charge of my toys. <laughs> it didn't quite work like that, but this kid was grappling with the idea that we all had something to rule, something to take responsibility for. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we exercise stewardship? How do we exercise responsibility? And what's our attitude when we do it? Personally, I'm quite prepared to go on record as saying I struggle with the way of interpreting this that says our rule means that it's just all there for us to enjoy, so we'll have the biggest gas-guzzling cars we uh, can possibly have and just sit all hours to enjoy in the way that I kind of pick up some uh, aspects of the church in America seem to think is what it means. I struggle with that. To me, it's a reminder that we tread this earth lightly because our rulership is not our own, it's delegated to us on behalf of the one who created it all. It's God's creation we're looking after, and that creation he's majestically created. It's his creation that displays his glory. And don't we need to be pretty careful we don't mess that up and mar it? So how do we exercise our rulership so that we honour, serve, and reflect the glorious creator? Maybe escaping it, but deliberately, I'm not going to try and answer that question this morning, because in one sense, I don't feel I can be prescriptive for all of us, but I think each of us have a responsibility under God to say, Lord, what does that mean for me in terms of how I exercise rulership? Not just narrowly over the patch that you've given me, but more broadly as I take my place as one of your people in your world and exercise responsibility over it. And maybe the psalmist himself got to that point and thought, you know what, this is all a bit too much. I'm not quite sure I can get my head around all this. But you know what, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I keep my eyes back on you as the God that is incredible and has made it all. Then maybe I'm going to be okay. And maybe I can work this thing out. And I think it's quite a good place to end here with me and for us to continue in worship right now. It's us ourselves to spend a few more minutes enjoying the fact that we know the Lord who is majestic over all the earth.